Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Are you joining us? I am. Yeah. Oh, good, oh, good. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. <laughs> it's been nearly a year since my wife Laura and I met with Dr. Graham Collingridge about what we call the Bryson mouse. Through an amazing gene editing tool called CRISPR, scientists have created a mouse with the exact same genetic variant as my son Bryson the one that has kept his brain locked at the developmental level of a 12-month-old. A few days ago, I got an email from Graham's team. They finally have a colony of mice ready for testing. They invite us in to observe experiments that could provide insights to help us unlock Bryson's brain. Graham is practically bouncing with excitement as he leads us into a boardroom at Toronto's Mount Sinai Hospital. So today is actually a really exciting day because, as you know, when we met uh, about a year ago now at that meeting uh, and you asked us is anything we could do to potentially help and it's, it takes a while to do these things but we have a colony of mice and today is the day we're doing our first ever experiment with them. So the right. timing could not be better. Well, that's good. That, that's very exciting. Yeah. Graham tells us they've bred two litters of nine mice. They're a mix of wild-type mice, those with the typical GRIN1 gene, and the G620R mice, where their DNA has been altered to mirror my son's. The first thing they've been able to detect is that these Bryson mice are smaller. They weigh 10 to 20% less than wild type. This isn't surprising to me. Like many kids with Grin Disorder, Bryson struggles to maintain a healthy weight. Before we arrived, Laura and I wondered if we'd get to see one of these Bryson mice. And we imagined how profound that moment might be, meeting this tiny creature with a strange connection to our son. But... It turns out today's tests need to be done using the brains of dead mice. So before we arrived, one of these mice has been euthanized. And Graham's researchers have cut slices from their brains to analyze. And is there a spot in the brain that is best for taking the slice from with respect to learning and memory? Or does it? Yeah. Good question. So we always use the hippocampus. So the hippocampus is good because one is critically involved in learning and memory. And it's also the most extensively studied part of the brain. So we, we, we know more about how synapses work in the hippocampus than anywhere else. I don't know. Any, any, any other questions before we yeah. go in? And it just feels remarkable, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's go and see. I'm excited yeah. to go and see, okay? <laughs> I'm Keith MacArthur, and this is Unlocking Bryson's Brain. A podcast about my son, his rare disease, and our family's search for a cure. Graham leads us across the hall to a lab, about the size of a high school classroom. Two researchers sit at separate stations, where the brain slices, barely visible to the naked eye, are being subjected to different chemicals and electrical currents. The researchers watch the results in real time on computer screens. Okay, Junior is a PhD student who's doing the experiments. So do you want to take us through what you're doing? Uh, the experiments that I'm doing is measuring the excitability of the synapses in the hippocampus and 
also the uh, plasticity, like the capability of the synapses in the neuron are like, able to like, learn or like, forget. In other words, these tests measure how much the G620R mutation is actually impacting the mouse's ability to learn and form memories. The other test should determine if the variant is causing Bryson's NMDA receptors to communicate too quietly or too loudly. Knowing this is a critical first step in understanding what kinds of medicines might help. What we're looking at is how this NMDA receptor functions in its native environment. So these synapses will be very similar to the synapses operational in, in the human brain. Graham tells us they'll have preliminary results in a few weeks and invites us to come back then to find out what he's learned. Bryson is a teenager. We invite both our families for a big 13th birthday party. And maybe for the first time, this celebration feels more happy than sad. In the past, Bryson's birthdays kind of hurt because they reminded me of how far Bryson's developmental age had fallen behind his calendar age. But all this focus on finding a cure, it's not only given me hope for the future, somehow it's also given me peace about who Bryson is today. Happy birthday, Bryson. Welcome to your teen years. Oh, oh my goodness. Teenager. <laughs> Becoming a teenager isn't the only transition we need to deal with. It's almost time for Bryson to move on to high school. For 10 years, ever since junior kindergarten, Bryson has gone to Sunnyview Public School. The bus go up and down, up and down, up and down the people. That's Bryson's teacher, Megan Greer. Good boy. Excellent use of your switch, Bryson. So he does engage with you if you come close to him. I think it, it helps that he um, can reach for your hand and, and be with you. Um, Sunnyview is a remarkable place. Every student there has physical or cognitive impairments. Many, like Bryson, have both. And every time I go there, I feel happy. Despite their challenges, these kids are full of joy and positivity. And it's contagious. The teachers and educational assistants and principal and vice principal, even the bus drivers, it's clear that they care about the kids. Public schools in Ontario are free for people with disabilities until they turn 21. And though Sunnyview is probably underfunded, I never worry about sending Bryson there. I know he'll be safe and happy and looked after. And when you've got a kid with these severe disabilities, that's a rare and remarkable thing. Um, I have gotten to know him very well. He's, he's come to school almost every day this year. Um, he's a happy and friendly student. He's um, always pleasant when he arrives, smiles, and he reaches for his teacher, myself, and his EAs. And I, I think that he is a student that I've really developed a rapport with. I almost feel like I can anticipate what it is he wants just by a look he gives me or... But high school is something new and scary. Will the new school be as focused on deciphering Bryson's nonverbal communication? Will they be as good at dealing with his seizure-like episodes? Will walking through the halls give me the same feeling of joy and wonder? There are a few different high schools for kids like Bryson in the Toronto board, and some would be great for him. But the school board, they pretty much leave parents out of the decision. So even though it's technically against board policy to visit schools before you have an offer of acceptance, we make arrangements for two covert visits. And these schools, they're like night and day. One is bright and spacious and would be perfect for Bryson. 
The other seems so ill-suited for our kid that we can't imagine sending him there. Even though we're not asked, we put in a request for the school we know will be best for Bryson. But the board offers him a placement in the other one. We take a risk and decline the offer of acceptance. After a few stressful weeks of waiting, the board finally provides an offer of acceptance to our preferred high school. It's still going to be a difficult transition for Bryson, but we're hopeful he'll be in the right place to feel safe and to keep on growing and learning. I send a long email to the superintendent who oversees these special needs schools, begging for kids like Bryson and their parents to have more of a say. And to my surprise, she agrees with me that the current process needs to be fixed. She invites me to join a group that will advise on new high school admission policies for 2021. Okay, I think I'm all packed up. I'm sad you're not able to come. I wish I was coming. We've been planning this for months. The fourth annual Grin One meetup is being held in Wildwood, New Jersey, the Jersey Shore. We were planning to load the kids in our wheelchair accessible van for the 10 hour drive. But a couple days ago, Laura caught a bug so bad, she ended up in the emergency room. Two days later, she's pretty much recovered. But now it's too late to drive. So Laura and the kids stay home and I fly down on my own. It's great to catch up with some of the families we see year after year, including Bryson's original grin twin, Olivia, and her parents, Scott and Teresa. But I get a chance to meet some new families, too. Uh, My name is Kim Ward, and my family is my husband, Pat. Um, Our older son, Brooks, is four years old. And Kieran, who has grade one, is almost 14 months old. And so how did you first realize that there was something different with Kieran? Um, My first indicator was that he wasn't progressing like his older brother. And then we got from the doctors like, oh, you know, every baby's different. Everyone, you know, nobody progresses the same. Um, But then, you know, we really realized that his head control um, wasn't there. The eye contact was not how it should be, um, which is when we got early intervention involved. It's only been a few weeks since Kim got a diagnosis for Kieran. She's still in that period of mourning for the kid she thought he was going to be. It was heartbreaking, sorry. Um, Because you don't expect it. Um, And then, you know, when we got the grin diagnosis and to find out that it was just, you know, a fluke. It's only in speaking with Kim that I'm able to recognize how far Laura and I have come in accepting this unexpected life. One of the things I'm thinking of just just talking to you, it's striking me just about how like this is still so new to you and how raw it is. And I almost have kind of forgotten about what it was like for us when we first realized that we had this kid with, you know, uh, special needs. And for so long, we didn't know what it was. But I guess I can only say that it does get easier. At least it gets like not as raw, right? It becomes your life and it's unbelievable that I can even think this way now but so many other parents say the same thing that we really feel like we've gotten to a place where we feel like it's it's a gift that we have these special special kids we're working on getting to that point we are still like you know and I say to my mom all the time I said I'm still trying to let things like sink in you know what I mean like I know that there is paperwork that I have to fill out to get him on these databases and I know there's you know I know all this stuff but part of me like in my day-to-day it's like okay let me just take a breath because I have to figure him out too you know and that's that's part of the battle too is me trying to figure out Kieran this get-together is more relaxing than the one we organized a year ago in Toronto there aren't any scientific presentations so we get to spend time hanging out at the beach and eating pizza on the boardwalk but the highlight is just talking to the other parents In addition to Bryson and Olivia, there are two other kids here with the exact same variant as Bryson. Juniper 
from Virginia is maybe the cutest little girl I've ever met. Even though she's not quite four, she's got more words than Bryson. Just for fun, her mom suggests I ask June to say a bad word. I do, and she does. She kind of finds her own ways, whether that be a look or a grunt. (laughs) The fourth member of the G620R club is John from New Jersey. John is two and a half, with an older brother who's about to turn four, and a little sister who's not quite 10 months. It's a lot of kids. Yes, it is, (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) That's John's mom, Caroline. What are your hopes for John's future? I hope that one day he'll be able to express to me how he's feeling. This way, I know if he's in pain or if he's just crying because he's frustrated. So I know what's going on with him, what's bothering him. I hope that he can be potty trained. (laughs) I hope that he can sleep through the night and be able to wake up rested and be happy and be able to face the day in be ready for therapies and be strong to get through them and do what he needs to do. And I hope that even if he can't take care of himself 100%, that he can become more independent. So I hope that he gains the strength to be able to do those things. And I hope that I can give him that. What are your biggest fears? That I'm not going to be there to help him. Because I know my baby the best. I know what he needs. I know I can calm him and take care of him. And I hope that whoever has to take care of him after me is the same way. I ask every parent I meet here that question. And most of them give a similar response. I think my biggest fear would be, um, you know, what would happen if, God forbid, we weren't here. Oh, gosh. My biggest fear for her is... is not being able to care for her if something happened to me. I think our biggest fear is what happens when we're not here. I don't want her to be in a, a nursing home because she can't communicate. They don't know her. Um, and that's why I say we take it day by day because if I start thinking about that too much, it'll drive me crazy. Um, so, you know, at this point, it's, you know, financially trying to work that out for the future. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed for a cure, I guess. (laughs) When I get back from the Jersey Shore, I talk to Laura about my conversations with these other parents and how we now need to plan for two different versions of the future. Like it used to be that when I imagined Bryson's future, I imagined Bryson pretty much as he is right now. And now when I think of the future, it's kind of blank. Like it's hard to imagine because maybe Bryson will continue to progress at his own slow pace like he is now. Or maybe there'll be some kinds of cures and therapies that will dramatically help him and he'll be able to tell us his wants and needs and he'll be able to walk or move his wheelchair by himself. Yeah, those are two very different futures for him and right require us to think of his future very differently and what we need to do to help prepare for that it's the thing that keeps us all up at night well i've been the one leading the charge on finding cures and therapies for bryson laura has been taking the lead on thinking about bryson's future in the version where things don't change more than a decade ago Laura attended a mom and tots class for parents with disabled and special needs kids. She formed an instant bond with Becky, one of the other moms. Laura and Becky and Bryson and Jack began spending a lot of time together. 
Laura and Becky aren't only best friends. They're also partners in a project to build an assisted living home for special needs kids. They're calling it Jack and Bryson's Caring Community. So Jack is Bryson's age, and his family is also concerned about finding uh, a place for Jack to live when they're no longer here and for him to have some independence, but also to know that there are trusting people that will help support him and look after him when he needs that. And also to be part of a community. It's a, a place where they can both participate fully with others. But also there will come a time when I can't lift him if he's not able to walk and and it will break my heart if he wasn't in the place where I felt like he was safe and loved and cared for and were, was given those options to choose in the way that we know him and communicate with him. So it also makes me sad. He's so lovely and so cute and, and has the best smiles and he gives great hugs. But I want him to have a full life. And you know, that's often not living with mom and dad. Hi there, how are you? Good to see you. I want to understand what Bryson's future might be like if things stay the way they are now, if we don't find a cure, and he continues to develop, but at his own slow pace. So I visit the New Jersey summer home of Linda Schock and her daughter Dana, a 29-year-old woman with Grin One. Dana is napping when I arrive, so Linda and I sit down at the dining room table. I tell her about our journey to find a diagnosis for Bryson. And uh, he got his diagnosis when he was nine and a half, so about three and a half years ago. So for us, it feels like it was, you know, like we, when we tell people that it was 10 years to wait before the diagnosis, people can't believe it. But for you, it was 27? 28, 28. years. Wow. 28 years. We hear Dana stirring in her bedroom, and Linda takes me in. Look who's here. Hi. You say hi? I'm cute. Good girl. How are you, Dana? <laughs> she can't say boy. Okay. So you're a good girl. I'm a good girl. Yeah. Yeah. So. We need a special tent bed to keep Bryson safe while he sleeps. So I'm encouraged to see that Dana sleeps in a regular adult bed. When she's ready to wake up, she just gets out of bed on her own. Dana can walk, and she knows about 20 words and signs. Good, good. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Good. Thank you. It's so good to meet you. She totally knows you're a good guy. So okay. yeah, she's totally judged your character. Excellent. <laughs> good girl. Uh-huh. Thank you. When she was younger, Linda says they needed to Dana-proof their home and keep breakable and dangerous objects out of reach. But now it's not so much of a concern. Dana has learned that it's not appropriate to smash a plate on the floor. I hope Bryson will learn the same. She is still hitting all the milestones that a neurotypical child hits. It's just very, very slow. Like, one of the things is behavior. And we see, like, with um, toddlers, terrible twos. Okay, so I have a five foot six inch adult woman. She's 140 pounds, and you know you want to put new shoes on her. And she's like, they don't look like my old shoes. Even though the new shoes are the same exact brand and model as the old shoes, but they're clean. <laughs> and to see you know, this older child, which to me is a child, but she's an adult, throwing a f- shoe across the room. You know, that's a frustration that as a parent we have, and that's something I have to get through. And that's where my faith helps me to stay grounded and have self-control. Most people think, oh, I had a toddler and they didn't like their shoes. And like, you can overpower the toddler because you're so much bigger. (laughs) You don't when they're an adult. It becomes a whole new negotiation. (laughs) Dana still lives with her parents. Linda thinks she and her husband, Steve, will be able to manage that for maybe another 10 years. 
They've started working on a plan for what comes next. They want Dana to be able to move into her own place with a team of round-the-clock support workers. And they're working with an agency that will start sending workers now. So Dana gets used to them in her parents' home before she moves into her own place with the same team. Bryson's grin twin, Olivia, is also 29. And she's also still living with her parents. They too are starting to recognize that their days as caregivers are numbered. Scott tells me Olivia's big sister, Hattie, is preparing to take over. And she's already has planned for years on, you know, being Olivia's caretaker one day. And um, she so. built a house with a special room for Olivia in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and her husband and, loves Olivia as much as she does, I think. So. That was one of her qualifications yeah. for <laughs> saying yes to a husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's great that Olivia's sister wants to look after her. But it's not a responsibility any sibling should have to take on. What's the hardest part about being Bryson's brother? So I prefer not to spend my time feeling sorry for myself because there's not really any point to that. But if you want to know the honest answer, it's hard worrying about his future and where he'll live in the future because I I love him and I want to help him as much as I can but I can't dedicate my entire future towards helping him uh, with living and I can't be the one who primarily takes care of him having that responsibility looming over me kind of terrifies me it's Hard day by day watching him have seizures and trying to figure out what we need to do for that day. But ultimately, you can put it off if you have the right mindset. But thinking about the future of what he would do is the hardest part. So even though me and mom have told you that we don't expect you to have to do that, you still feel worried that it's going to end up falling to you? I don't believe you. If you want me to be honest, I don't think you're telling me the complete truthful answer when you say that you have a plan and that you know he won't have to depend on me for my whole life because I've asked you to share like details about the plan or something like that, but you don't seem to have one at this point and I don't think that you realize at this point, but it's not... He's going to need, like, intensive care for the rest of his life. And the financial ramifications of that are something that I don't think you have budgeted for. Or the true cost of that. That's hard for me to hear. And... In one sense, Connor's got it wrong because we do know how expensive it's going to be for Bryson to have the 24-7 care he needs. And we're lucky that we have family members setting funds aside to help him. But for us to let it get to the point where Connor feels this worried, it's clear we've made a mistake in not talking to him more about the plan for Bryson's future. We thought we were protecting him from having to worry about all this, but clearly it's not working. We need to bring him more into the loop. I can almost get my head around this version of Bryson's future, the one represented by Olivia and Dana, but the other possibility, the one where we actually unlock Bryson's brain, that's harder to imagine. Because here's the thing, it's never really happened before. As far as I can tell, there just haven't been any cases of people who have lived their entire lives with massive developmental delays, then get a fix that suddenly wires their brains like everybody else's. I want to know... Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian... 
And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. If a cure could mean that Bryson would be able to speak to me. And when I start asking researchers, one of them tells me about Jeannie Wiley, a teenage girl from California. Officials in the Los Angeles suburb of Arcadia have taken custody of a 13-year-old girl, and they say was kept in such isolation by her parents that she never even learned to talk. The girl still wore diapers and was uttering infantile noises when a social worker discovered the case two weeks ago. But the authorities are hoping she still may have a normal learning capacity. Jeannie's treatment is still considered one of the worst cases of childhood neglect in American history. But researchers saw an opportunity. Because Jeannie hadn't really been exposed to language, her case presented them with an unusual opportunity to understand how a developed brain learns to speak for the first time. These researchers tried to teach Jeannie how to speak, and she was able to learn hundreds of words, but she couldn't put them together into complete sentences. The researchers theorized that while the human brain is capable of learning words at any age, there's a critical period for learning grammar, or syntax. And 13-year-old Jeannie had missed it. Eventually, Jeannie's mother won back custody, and the researchers weren't allowed to see her anymore. I tracked down one of these researchers, Dr. Susan Curtis, who wrote a book about Jeannie. She agrees to talk to me and says I can use her quotes in the podcast, but not her voice. We've asked an actor to help reenact my conversation with Susan. There's research around the world that shows that there is a window during which, if you have a normal brain, you need to get a certain amount, actually probably a very small amount, but that small amount of linguistic input in order to develop grammar. And it's not just about Jeannie. Susan tells me the strongest evidence for the so-called critical period theory comes from studies of deaf children who were raised by hearing parents and didn't learn sign language as little kids. If they're taught to learn sign language later in life, they can learn words. But most are never able to put together complex sentences. The part of the brain that allows that kind of learning, it just doesn't work anymore. And when you were working with Jeannie for a while, you were working with her every single day, right? Yeah, for years I was with her every day. And would you say that you became close during that time? Oh my God, yes. Like, when I had my own kids, I realized what I felt was like she was a kid of mine. Wow. So it must have been hard later when you weren't allowed to see her anymore. Oh, God, yes. It's just, I I still mourn the loss. It was a hole in my heart. Wow, I imagine. Being a parent, you know that love never goes away. Hi there, we're a few minutes early. I'm Keith. Nice to meet you, Amy. Nice to meet you too. Amy Finn is a psychologist at the University of Toronto. She leads research into learning and language development. I guess I'm hoping that Amy will tell me something different. That if we unlock Bryson's brain, he will be able to learn to speak in complete sentences. But no. She says Susan is right about this critical period for learning language. And it's not even just a human thing. Even songbirds have a critical period for learning how to sing. And if you deprive the son of his father's um, song that he has to learn within a certain period, um, and he doesn't learn it, um, he, he won't ever learn it. Though grammar is maybe the most important skill for which there's a critical period, 
Researchers have also identified other abilities that become much more difficult if we don't learn them as children. Everything from developing perfect musical pitch to mastering a golf swing. But Amy does offer a glimmer of hope. With a chronological age of 13 and the developmental age of a one-year-old, maybe Bryson's brain has not yet lost the capacity to learn how to speak in sentences. If it's the NMDA receptor that's sort of holding all of this back, there's a possibility that he's in a continued state of plasticity, right? What might be really interesting about your son, I can't speak to the molecularness of it, but he might be in this perpetual state of plasticity, right? And so it could be that like, when things switch, if there is such a thing that can happen for him, that that's when he starts to, when these maturational timetables start. I don't know, I can't actually speak to that specifically. Amy says her lab at the University of Toronto might be able to do some tests on Bryson to determine if he has the brain plasticity of a typical one-year-old, a 13-year-old, or somewhere in between. She explains that when babies are born, they have this amazing superpower to differentiate between nearly identical language sounds. This helps in being able to develop language. But as we grow up, we lose this ability as those Neuronal connections are redeployed. So Amy wants to play two words from another language that sound the same to an adult English speaker and see if Bryson can tell them apart. If he can, it might not be too late for him to be able to speak in full sentences. In the not-too-distant future, kids like Bryson really could get treatments from CRISPR or some other quote-unquote magic pill that will unlock their brains. And there's a lot that researchers like Amy will be able to learn from that. But one thing we already know for sure, even if changes in the brain are instant, changes in behavior and symptoms won't be. It takes a full year for a baby to be able to walk and years to develop language. Why wouldn't it be the same with an older kid who gains new brain capacity later in life. Any cure would need to be coupled with intensive therapies, physio, speech, feeding, and more. Meanwhile, things are going really well at CureGrin, the charity I helped create to find and fund cures for Grin Disorder. Out of more than 280 rare disease organizations that applied, we get invited to the second round to apply for a $450,000 US grant from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. The private foundation of Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and his pediatrician wife, Priscilla Chan. And while we're waiting to hear back from them, we launch our first fundraising campaign with the goal to raise $250,000 in our first year. Despite heroic efforts by a few families, we fall short. We extend the fundraiser by a month and end up raising about $150,000 through CureGrin and the University of Toronto. Funds that will allow us to build more CRISPR mice and to fund patient registries and natural history studies. We know this is only a drop in the bucket of what we'll need to find a cure, and we can't stop thinking about how the Chan Zuckerberg grant could change everything for our families. Then, Denise gets an email. Okay, Denise, so you got an email? Okay, okay. Um, thank you for the opportunity to review your application. We are very pleased to inform you your application will be recommended for funding oh my God. from the Chan Zuckerberg Donor Advice Fund through Silicon Valley Community Foundation. What does that mean? What does what does that mean? Recommended for funding? It means we got it. Holy crap! Representative. <laughs> oh my god! I can't. I can't even believe this. We got the CBI grant. Holy crap! So what does it mean? What's next? And I, <laughs> what's next is I'm going to forward you this email. <laughs> 
and uh, oh my god, we're excited. <laughs> um, we're excited to have you and your team join, and look forward to working together to accelerate rare disease research. Chan Zuckerberg is not going to announce the grant for two months, and we're not allowed to talk about it publicly until they do. We are allowed to tell members of our own team. Hey. Hey. Lauren? Yeah. You at work? Yeah. We got some news. Did you see? No. Hi, Lauren. We got the grant. Shut up. <laughs> but we can't. We cannot talk about it. Are you serious? We got it. Are you okay, serious? But... Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. No, shut up. These funds from CZI are intended for us to build a global network of researchers to attract hundreds of scientists, doctors, and biotech companies to research grin disorder. The grant allows us to invest in a small team of people to build these relationships. And there's money to put on a global scientific conference, to translate our website into multiple languages, and to build a private portal where parents and scientists can work together toward a cure. And there's more good news. Remember Amy Ramsey? She's the University of Toronto scientist who gave us so much hope when her research on mice suggested that grin disorder symptoms can be reversed. Well, she gets awarded a huge grant, $868,000 Canadian, for grin disorder research. I don't know if she's just being kind, but Amy says a letter of support I submitted on behalf of CureGrin played a big role in helping her to secure the grant. Adding Amy's grant, the CZI grant, and the funds we've raised for CureGrin and the University of Toronto, this is an infusion of $1.7 million into our search for a cure. There aren't any cures yet for grin disorder, but there are off-label drugs that some parents are using on their kids to try to improve brain function and reduce seizures. Bryson has been taking one of these for 18 months. Momantine is one of the few drugs that helps some Alzheimer's patients. It works by quieting the NMDA receptor. So based on scientists' best guesses about what's going on in Bryson's brain, we're able to persuade his neurologist to let us try it. At first, it seems like it might be working. So we increase the dose. But that leads to a frightening increase in Bryson's seizure-like episodes. So we cut back. Then, one day, we learn that a researcher in Barcelona, Spain, is using computer modeling to better understand what's going on with each patient's specific grin gene variant. And Bryson's variant? It's not doing what we thought it was. We assumed Bryson had a gain-of-function mutation, the yelling kind, because the analysis from Emory showed there wasn't enough magnesium in the channel to quiet receptor communication. But the computer modeling from Spain? It suggests there's so little communication in the first place that the magnesium is irrelevant. So Bryson seems to have a loss-of-function variant, the whispering kind. Not only that, but the computer modeling also provides clues that suggest that there might also be a 25% reduction in the total number of NMDA receptors in Bryson's brain. All of this is scary. Because if it's true, the momantine Bryson has been taking for the past 18 months is doing more harm than good. We share the new information with Bryson's neurologist, and he agrees we should get Bryson off momantine altogether. But not long after his last pill, Bryson has a few bad weeks of these out-of-control episodes where he thrashes violently and bites himself. His legs become covered in bruises. And we're worried we've made the wrong decision taking him off the drug. We desperately need a definitive answer. The tests that Graham is doing on the Bryson mouse should finally give us that.
I didn't plug that into the wrong place, though. No, 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 no. There's only one connection. So project PC screen. Only. Oh, there it goes. Okay. Uh, duplicate. So the experiments were done very well, but the ability of me to present <laughs> the data is, <laughs> is not as good. I'm back in the boardroom across the hall from Graham Collingridge's lab. He's excited to share the data from his team's experiments on the Bryson mouse. Okay, so this is really good timing because literally yesterday we analyzed our first cohort of results. I want to start by saying that... He starts with a word of caution. So far, the team has only tested five of the Bryson mice. He says the data paints such a clear picture that results are unlikely to change. But he wants me to know that as they perform these same tests on a larger sample of mice, they could. With that out of the way, he tells us that his tests confirm that Bryson does have a loss-of-function mutation. In fact, it appears that Bryson's NMDA receptors are functioning at just half the level of a neurotypical brain. We made the right decision to get him off the momantine. These tests also seem to suggest that other than this problem in the NMDA receptor, Bryson's synapses are functioning normally. But certainly the take-home message, I, I mean, I'm, I, I think most of this is good news, actually, because you'd expect to have a correlate for the learning deficit, which we've got. But nothing else seems unduly wrong. You know, it seems like it's a normal functioning hippocampus. It's one more piece of shockingly good news to add to our hope that a cure will be found. I ask Graham if they've seen the mice have seizures, and he said they still need to do formal tests on that. But he points out that in mice that are prone to epilepsy, these tests show a jagged line instead of a curved one. But the results from the Bryson mouse, they show a nice curved line. So we should know fairly soon, but I'll be very, just looking at the hippocampus, I wouldn't expect to see any seizures. Oh really? Doesn't look pretty epileptic form at all. So these horrible episodes Bryson has had his whole life, maybe they're not seizures, but we still don't know what they are. Bryson's neurologist wants to bring him back into the hospital for a few nights to see if his episodes show up on an EEG. But the COVID-19 pandemic has delayed that testing, just as it's put a halt on speech and physiotherapies Bryson usually gets through school. So we're starting to wonder if these seizure-like episodes will be a mystery forever. Or at least, until we're able to find a cure for Bryson. Graham sends me home with some charts that summarize his research. One shows two lines that begin in the lower left corner. There's a blue line that measures NMDA function in the mouse with Bryson's mutation. It moves upwards as it approaches the right side of the graph. But the gain is modest. There's also a black line that shoots up quickly towards the right. Measuring the NMDA function in typical mice. And these two lines, I can't help but think they're symbolic of the two very different possible paths in Bryson's future. When I first mapped out this podcast, I dreamed that this final episode might end with Bryson getting his cure. That his brain would be unlocked. That he would be magically transformed into a neurotypical kid. That we would get it all on tape, as he says... I love you, Dad, for the first time. That we'd all be in tears as he tells us what his life has been like for 13 years. But that's not how this podcast ends. We've come so far in the past two years, but still have so far to go. And I can't wait to tell you what comes next for Bryson in our search for a cure. But we'll also use this podcast series to tell stories of how new developments in medical science can unlock other diseases 
and improve our health in other ways. So there's no cure for grin disorder. Yet. But there has been healing. For me and Laura and Connor. Hello, Connor. Hello, Keith. Here, should I st- I want to get standing energy. Should I stand up? No. It seems like your relationship with Bryson has evolved over the last few months. Why do you think it's changed? I'm kind of noticing certain things and certain, you know, sparks of his personality. You know, maybe they weren't there before. Maybe I never noticed them before. But I, I feel like I, I'm starting to kind of see who he is. Are there examples of how Bryson seems to have changed? Sometimes I just kind of notice the little things, you know? Like we're all in the car and someone makes a joke. And before anyone actually starts laughing, Bryson does. Like he just kind of knows certain things and we see a sense of humor and... So it's becoming more clear that he's understanding what's going on around him? It's kind of a loaded question. I feel like... I don't know if he understands everything that's going on around him. And I know he's confused about a lot of it, but sometimes when he's having one of his episodes and someone just takes a second to kind of like, you know, break things down and try to explain it to him and try to make sure he feels at ease, he kind of calms down and he sort of understands a little bit better than he did before. And that's one of the things I never really noticed in the past, his ability to learn like that. Um, can I play something from you from the first episode? And then I just want to ask you whether whether it still reflects how you feel? Yes. How would you describe your relationship with Bryson? It's weird. It's not something that I would... It's not honestly something that I think about a lot. I'm just kind of like his brother and he's just... I'm just thinking of how to describe it because it might sound weird or distant, but he's kind of just there. And he's kind of just always been there. What do you think listening to that? Well, I mean, to be honest, the first thing I think is, wow, my voice was very high. Um, You know, I can't prove it, right? I can't prove that... He's thinking things or that he understands. But I guess maybe I'm kind of... I think I'd rather believe that he does now, as opposed to before when I'd rather just not take anything as concrete fact. I think I'd rather believe that he understands some things. And that there is a person there that I know. And how does that change your relationship as brothers? I guess I just see a role there where I try to help him understand. I try to talk to him or try to comfort him. And I can't do a perfect job because he won't understand everything. But I try my best to be there now. Whereas before I kind of just... Didn't want to be a part of it. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for being, wanting to be part of it. That's amazing for us. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is whether your belief around Bryson and the possibility of therapies or cures that could make a big difference in his life has changed. I still don't think it's super likely. Honestly, I still don't think it's going to happen soon or in the near future. And maybe it will. And maybe that'll prove me wrong. And yeah, I'll be happy for that. It just all seems like far too much of a long shot for now. I mean, I guess as they're doing all this new testing and there's, you know, a more developed understanding of how his brain works, I think maybe there might be some sort of 
medication or some sort of uh, treatment for the chemical imbalance that might help him learn better, but I don't think that he'll be able to learn in the same way that he could have. How do you feel today about where we're at with this search for a cure? I'm in shock a little, in awe. Two years ago, I could not have imagined that we would be where we are at today. We've gotten further than I probably thought we would ever get in his life to understanding his very specific grin disorder. Can you imagine what Bryson would be like if there were a cure or a partial cure that allowed him to be more neurotypical and communicate with us? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would love that. Um, what do you think he would be like? He'd be like he is now, right? He's He's smiley and he's like, you know, love. Yeah, he's, I, when I think of him, I just think of him as a, a sweet, funny little boy or a young man. You know, he giggles so much. He likes our jokes. Fit in perfectly with our family that way. He already does. He's, he is perfect. And he's like, he's very social. Very social. He'd, he'd probably be like a huge extrovert. He would definitely be a huge extrovert. Yes, he would. You're right. He loves to be around people. Um, yeah, he would. He would want to be out there socially, all the time. You can see it, right? His eyes light up when he's with others and talking to others until he gets overwhelmed. Oh yeah, life of the party. But he'd probably still have a temper. Probably. Ah <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, he's stubborn. Right? That's a huge part of Bryson, which is maybe why he has even done as well as he has and frustrate us as much as he has. <laughs> and good for him. Yeah, he would be stubborn. That's okay. I can deal with that. I'm kind of stubborn myself. And so are you. Unlocking Bryson's Brain is hosted and written by me, Keith MacArthur. Our associate producer is Graham McDonald, who also does our mixing and sound design. Our digital producer is Emily Canal. Chris Oak is our story editor. Illustrations and graphics by Ben Shannon. Our video producer is Evan Agard. Original music for this series by Graham McDonald. Additional audio clips from TLC. Thanks to Rosie Fernandez, who helped with voicing. The senior producer of CBC Podcasts is Tanya Springer. And our executive producer is Arif Nurani. Leslie Merklinger is our senior director. Special thanks to Cecil Fernandez and Lauda Antonelli for technical support, to Sabrina Mori for script consultation, to Dave Downey for performance coaching, to Amy Ramsey, Catherine Inson, Zasing Wen, Steve Trainellis, Tim Benke, Megan Collins, Ronnie Cohn, and Johannes Lemke, who helped with fact-checking science. Thanks to all the Grin Disorder families who participated in this podcast. And a very special thanks to Laura, Connor, and Bryson for being part of this project and helping to tell our family's story. We're sharing bonus content on Instagram and Facebook, including a picture of the tent bed that keeps Bryson safe while he sleeps. Just search for CBC Podcasts on those platforms. To learn more about Grin Disorder, visit curegrin.org. Do you have tips to help us unlock Bryson's brain 
or your own story about navigating the medical world with a rare or undiagnosed condition, we'd love to hear from you. Reach us at unlocking at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.